Alright, hello and welcome to this week's edition of The Time and Place. Last episode without Abby. Uh, I think she's going to come back next week. So, today we're going to be talking about biblical masculinity. Mm. Uh, what does it mean for uh, like biblical manhood, uh, Christian men? What does it mean? Like, what is that? What's that whole thing? Because talk about toxic masculinity versus biblical masculinity and like should we apologize for being men or what does it mean to be a man and all these things. So yeah, that's what we'll be talking about tonight. Apologize for being a man. That's such a big one right now. Yeah. Like toxic masculinity is a, how how old is that concept of toxic masculinity? Like it it hasn't been a buzzword for that long. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's, I I think it kind of floated up with all this woke craziness of sexism and, Feminism and toxic masculinity. It seems like there's another, oh, no other kind of masculinity. <laughs> well, that's the problem with toxic masculinity is like all the classically classically masculine traits are now toxic. Yeah. Like, do you like to fight? Well, that's toxic. Do you like to? Are you aggressive? That's toxic. Are you assertive? That might be toxic. Yeah. So you have to uh, man spreading. Remember man spreading. Yeah. 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 Um, so you so you got to be a soy boy or. <laughs> Toxic masculinity. <laughs> I see that stuff. That soylent. That that I don't know what it is. Bottle of of uh, liquid estrogen at the store all the time. Mm. Oh jeez, I thought it just meant someone who drinks soy milk or something. No, it's just it's this like little. It's like a, a meal replacement shake, but it's made of soy. Like that's the primary. Oh yeah. It sounds disgusting. I don't think I could make it through it. But. No. It's popular in IT and all that. Any kind of uh, any kind of computer job where you're sitting at a desk for eight hours and you probably can't get up, just chug that stuff. That's a soy boy. Are you a soy boy if you have a desk job? <laughs> if you work in Silicon Valley, you're probably yeah. a soy boy. Unless you're a, a firefighter or like a Navy SEAL. masculine. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so male feminists, beta oh, males, soy boys. Nancy boys, Mamby Pambies, uh, what other softies, lighten the loafers, <laughs> lighten the loafers, yeah. And this has nothing to do with like being gay. I think it's a completely different thing, right? Because this will cross. Like none of these mean gay. Like right. you're, just, you're just a emasculine man, I guess. But that's right. good. That's what that seems to be the only acceptable man is like a tamed man. Right, a non-threatening man. A neutered man. Neutered, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Is there any chance that you're going to be a problem in any situation? Then we have to take care of that. <laughs> regardless of the situation, regardless how big the problem, if you're going to be a problem, we got to take care of that. Do you have any sort of biological natural urges? <laughs> they got to go. You're done. Out. Them up. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of how it starts, right? Like the idea of toxic masculinity kind of starts at youth. Like, oh, you're too, he's too loud. He's too hyper. He's too... Mm. He doesn't sit still. He doesn't listen. Yeah. We got to dope him up. Yeah. Um, it's it's good you say that because that was like one of the first things I wanted to bring up uh, in Future Men by Douglas Wilson. This is one of the best books on biblical manhood, especially about raising boys. 
um, and like Christianity and what does that mean? How, you know, all these things. And uh, kind of what we're talking about is like as as boys, you know, the evil, terrible, horrible phrase, boys will be boys, right? Mm, right. <laughs> Not true, you know. You can't say that because it's just, it, sh it shouldn't be true. So we can't say it. Right. You know, okay, whatever. But in it, he <laughs> says, um, at the beginning of his life, a boy does not know what century he was born in and consequently exhibits to many of his politically correct and aghast elders some of the same traits exhibited by the boyhood chums of Sennacherib and Charlemagne. He doesn't know, know any better yet. But in our day, many of these creation design masculine traits are drilled or drugged out of him by the time he is 10. Faith resists this ungodly uh, faith resists this ungodly process and divine sin by the scriptures and not by pietistic traditions. Mm. And in other places, he says, you know, like a, a boy being a good boy doesn't mean a kid boy who acts like his sister. Right. You know, <laughs> it's like there's going to be some differences, you know, and uh, that's okay. And that's that's good. It, it starts with uh, Teddy Roosevelt. Um, <clears throat> Yeah, so it says, when Theodore Roosevelt was at Harvard, he taught Sunday school for a time at Christ Church until he was dismissed over an issue related to this. A boy showed up one Sunday with a black eye. He admitted he had been fighting, and on a Sunday, too. He told the future president that a bigger boy had been pinching his sister, and so he fought him. Teddy Roosevelt told him that he had done perfectly right and gave him a dollar. <laughs> the vestrymen thought this a bit much, and so they let their exuberant Sunday school teacher go. <laughs> but yeah, I mean that's like that's a reason to fight. Like someone, right. you know what I mean? So there's reasons to fight, and there's reasons not to fight, and right. that's you know kind of that. I think fighting is there's a reason. Like this is the cover. Uh, <laughs> there's a painting um, by uh, Emil or uh, 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 Emily. It's like. E-M-I-L-E, -E, but I think it's a woman. Emile or Emile, I don't know, uh, French. But um, yeah, that's, really, that's the cover. <laughs> now I'm asking, yeah. Um, yeah, there's a reason that's the cover of the book because it's true, that's just kind of in there. Um, but it, it's, it's hard because we have these like natural, physical, biological tendencies and their tendencies. They're not all, always necessarily like, oh, all boys are gonna just fight all the time and be messy right. and gross and loud and whatever like they tend to right like that's ten that's a tendency but it's not like a rule like oh unless you're those things you're not a man and i, w I wouldn't say the bible says that either right no you have david playing a harp you know and like, <laughs> it's like oh that's not manly but <laughs> maybe that's the, when we talk about toxic masculinity maybe that's the the reason for it is like the the overcompensation the putting on of like the the stereotypical manliness to appear manly right like the showy manliness the peacocking if you will mm -hmm. so you get like bro culture where it's just yeah. about like chugging beers and being loud and being obnoxious and that kind of thing like that's yeah. that's a, a an appearance of masculinity but there's no substance underneath it yeah and it's weird how the feminist response to that is so you have the, these men who just sleep with any woman pigs just see women as objects and just, you know, another notch in their belt as far as their sexual conquests or whatever. And the feminist response to that is to do the exact same thing. Right. So women can do that too. It's like, no, 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 no. That's, that's just all bad. <laughs> that's bad for a man or woman. Like you shouldn't have that sort of sexual promiscuity and immorality. Like 
instead of like, hey, they shouldn't be doing that, it's mm -hmm. I'm going to do it too. Right. Or women can do it too because they do it. And it's like, well, aren't you saying it's bad? Why do you, why would you want to do that same thing? You know, and, and I know women can do it. It's called sin. Like, <laughs> this isn't a, a gender problem or uh, whatever. It's a sin problem. But yeah, it's like, but that's equality. It's like, we're both, we're both pigs. We're both sin. We so they're we're be sleeping around and it's like, okay, well, whatever. <laughs> And that kind of, I mean, that, like you said, tendencies and stuff, that kind of gets, because boys will be boys is one of those no-no phrases. Like, you're not supposed to say that anymore. Yeah. Because it, it's excusing is the problem. Like, oh, if you say that, you're saying, you're basically giving them an excuse to be bad, to mm. be violent, to be whatever. And I think there is a, a way that that can be true, right? Mm. Like if your kid is an obnoxious snot and you're like, well, it's just what boys do. It's like, mm. yes, that is what they do. And that's why you're supposed to make sure they don't do that anymore. <laughs> yeah. Feel that. Yeah. Humans will be humans. Like that's right. True. Exactly. Yeah. We can't pretend that's not true, but we can't just be like, okay, well that's it. You know, right. we're just going to appeal to our base instincts, mm. you know, our base flesh instincts say, no, that's not the answer either. Like that's true. We need to recognize that and address it. Like boys will be boys. That's true. Okay. We need to address that. What does that right. mean? you know mean? yeah and uh, yeah if, if you're if you're using that as like well i'm not gonna tell my kid to my my teenage boy to to stop sleeping with three different girlfriends it's like boys we're boys and it's like no it's <laughs> not well the problem is that <laughs> is that's not a boys will be boys boys aren't supposed to stay boys they're supposed to become men yeah right like yeah. The, the whole boys will be boys but they also will be men and you want them to be mature in that yeah. way right like the whole it's kind of like a forging process almost, right? Like mm. you have this raw material that has the potential to be useful, right? It's strong. It's, it's fierce. You can do something with it, but you have to do something with it. You have yeah. to hammer it, you have to heat it, you have to fold it. Otherwise it's just full of, of dross and, or it doesn't do anything. It's not any good. Yeah. And I, you know, we have a lot of that because there's one, no discipline, which I guess would be the hammering and the forging, but also the other half of that is like the, the circumstance that forges you, right? The hardness yeah. that forges you. That, that's not part of modern society. Like we, uh, parents have spent generations trying to make their kids comfortable, trying to make them mm -hmm. understood and feel accepted and not yeah. necessarily have to like work through things or, or fight through things. Yeah. Doug Wilson says, says the point of discipline you talk about, it's crazy. You're like, we're like following along with the book. The, po the point of discipline with boys is to channel and direct their energy into an obedient response to the cultural mandate. It is not to squash that energy, destroying it or making it solid. Right? Like saying, form it into like right. the productive, constructive thing. You know, not just like be quiet, don't be a boy, don't you know, just hush. It's like you know, we gotta we gotta work with that. You know, right? Yeah, but I mean, culture. The creation mandate is kind of a that's where it comes into worldview issues because like if we're if we're going to be biblical then we have to understand that we were made for a reason mm -hmm. and it would follow that the characteristics we have are for that reason to aid in that reason right yeah the problem is that we have everybody running society doesn't have that worldview yeah so those characteristics aren't seen as useful because they don't see them as for anything there's no purpose like your 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 curiosity is just a problem i need you just pay attention and focus as opposed to like well your curiosity is there because it helps you dig into things and figure out problems and solve things like that because you're gonna have to build society that's what you were made to do build society yeah yeah well it's weird too because i think i think doug wilson talked about too about how like uh women build and men destroy so mm -hmm. like 
like uh, in ancient civilizations, men would come in and conquer and just like raise right. the village, you know, like set it on fire and destroy it, and then you know push everyone out or capture people, or whatever. And then the women would make the houses, make the home, and make you know make it. They they turn that raised village into like an uh, their village. They'd bring their um, you know, raise gardens. They do raise children. They they make they, they they construct and they build up the thing. A man just comes in and like destroys it, conquers, conquers, like takes the land, and then right. yeah. But that that's that's kind of uh, that's that's traditionally how civilization is done. It's not necessarily like like the way it should be done because there is a biblical mandate. Um, to well, basically how it sums up is like work and keep. I don't know like what you kind of wanted to get into as far as like should we look at how like the world looks at masculinity first and then the actual biblical view of it, or because um, we kind that's kind of how we're, we're, t- we're already talking about like right, how yeah. these masculinities. So I mean, like, yeah, let's go with that. Let's like the worldly idea of masculinity, like where where it comes from, where it went wrong, why we're here, <laughs> why we have no masculinity anymore. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, it is the godless worldview of like, we're all just, there's no difference really in anything. We're all molecules. We're all atoms. We're all, you know, raised societies of bacteria. So ultimately there's no difference between anything. There's no distinctions. And that, that seems to be the message of feminism too, is that they don't want to embrace things that may make women uniquely feminine, right? right? Like raising children. Or like uh, having, having children, children. <laughs> giving birth, one of the most unique things about femininity, but that's the least, you know, valued thing of feminist seems mm-hmm. to be motherhood. Uh, and it, so it, it is this, uh, we can do anything a man can do. But what they're saying is like, it's an equality. It's a, it's a neuter. They want just, a, they want no gender. It's not right. equal of genders. They want, there's no such thing as gender. Right. And that's kind of where we are with the gender fluidity and whole transgender thing and, there is no gender. It's just you're just a piece of clay. But why? Why did we get there? Because that wasn't always the case. Like that, we had generations upon generations upon centuries of this idea of like masculinity and femininity, and they're yeah. two different things, and they both have their place. But modern America, modern in the past hundred years, is yeah. the idea that like, well, maybe we need to re-examine all of that. I think it's boys who liked theater. <laughs> <laughs> are you telling me you can't be masculine and also wear a frilly shirt because i refute that point i i think i think my best uh like estimation of it would be that that of like how we talk about tendencies and how well uh, this is what it means to be a man in like all the uh sort of stereotypical things and, if right. you, and then that becoming a rule rather than just like a tendency and a generalization becomes a rule like if you don't do this you're not a man and then like over you know time of that and then a bunch of guys and, and same with women too like generalizations and tendencies of femininity and and women and then a girl who likes to play sports or something and it's like oh you're wrong you're bad because like there's no nuance to it there's kind of like these rules that became uh, gender stereotypes and stuff, and then that was like a rule. So then, if you don't fall in line with that, there's something wrong with you. And then those people feeling like pissed off are like, "Well, then fine, I'm a boy, you know, or fine, I'm a girl, or <laughs> right. fine, you know, whatever it is." And just not just not being able to 
think properly about that of just like, well, it, that's not, again, it, it's straying from the biblical. It, when, when you stray from the biblical, all you have is the material. And so it is it's like, you know, Marxist leftist sort of thinking where all this kind of stuff comes from is materialism. It's all about the material things. Like, you know, it, it's the gender stereotypes, it's the dresses, it's the trucks, it's the guns, it's the Barbie dolls. It's the, oh, this is what makes you a man or a woman or a boy or a girl, you know, and which is ironic because those are stereotypes. And so that, that's, that's the weirdest thing about like the whole transgender movement is that it reinforces stereotypes, right? So uh, yes. uh, like a man says he feels like a woman when you're like, okay, well, what does that mean? It means I want to wear a dress. Right. Is that what it means to be a woman? Because I thought that's not what it means. Right. If you ask a woman, what does it mean to be a woman? It's like, well, I feel confident and I feel bold and I feel empowered and I feel, you know, whatever. It's like, okay, well, men can have those feelings too. Right. So what does it mean uniquely? And that's, and that's another problem is that they can't even define what a woman is. You, I feel like, well, what are you talking about? You don't even know what that is. You can't even <laughs> define it. You want to wear a dress, you know, but if I said, if I told a woman, oh, she feels like a woman because she wears makeup and wears a dress, that's sexist. Right. But if, if I say I feel like a woman and want to do those things, I'm applauded as a hero. Right. You're, you're great. It, it, it's reinforcing these gender stereotypes. And it's like they're talking out of both sides of the mouth. They're saying, like, we want to do away with these gender stereotypes because they're cultural, cultural oppressing gender onto you. But then it's like, well, that's what that's how I feel like a woman by wearing a dress. Like, oh, yes, great. Do it. Wonderful. And it's like, mm -hmm. well, I mean, they've what are you talking about? They've, <laughs> what does it mean to feel like a woman? they've learned the tactics of what they don't like. Like they've learned the, the strategy of their enemy. Like, oh, okay. If, if they could use gender stereotypes to push their worldview, we're also going to use gender stereotypes to push our worldview. But then they also call those gender stereotypes bad, right. <laughs> right. you know? And it's Except like, is uh, a girl, I feel like a boy. Oh, why? Because I have a over, over, overly sex drive and I sh like to shoot guns and I like to, it's like, okay, are you saying that boys will be boys? You know, because I fit into that. Well, what are you talking about? I thought you said that was bad, you know, and that's toxic masculinity and, and all the things that they say are bad, but are exactly what they say that makes them feel like a man mm -hmm. or, or a woman, you know? So it's these gender stereotypes. And I think that's where a lot of like this confusion and just chaos comes from of, of the, it, it's become a stereotype for men to objectify women, right? Mm -hmm. A stereotype for like the bro culture and stuff is right, just a right. stereotypical man. And I, I wouldn't say that's what it means to be a man at all, you know, and, but it, that's what it's become. So then that's toxic, toxic. And it's true. That is toxic, but it has nothing to do with gender, but everything to do with sin, mm. right? It's not a gender problem, the sin problem. Mm. And yeah. they're not identified because they don't believe in sin. Right. Right. Exactly. They don't believe in sin. So it, it can't be that. It's, yeah. it's gotta be something. It's that's, it always is. It's, it's, that's why people could tear down Confederate statues because they can't fight the sin of racism because they don't, believe in sin they can't they don't believe in evil so take down the flag take down the statue take down the materialistic thing we have to attack symbols and things because that's all there is mm -hmm. there is no sin there is no evil but the statue is making people feel bad so we take it down so it's feelings and materialism there's no there's no soul there's no non-material things immaterial things at all so just attack the material thing and that's what it comes down because you can't deal with the real problem because you don't have a, a category for the real problem what he said there's no sin it's right. postmodern. You, you make your own right and wrong we do as things whatever 
you know, so it's like, okay, well then what, how do we end racism? It's like, well, just destroy all the things. Which is the whole postmodern okay. thing is so strange because it's the idea, the, the phrase that kills me is wrong side of history or right side of history. It's like right. that, that means that the thing was not wrong. We just decided that we don't like it at this point in time. At one point in time, it was right. Yeah. That's what that has to imply, which is just bizarre. So all reformers are evil. Right. Until they win, then they're correct. Yeah. The abolitionists were wrong. Right. Until it became a majority view or something. <laughs> and then slavery became wrong. It's, it's such a bizarre, and they don't see that, but that's the only way that works that idea yeah. of rights and wrongs out of history. They're appealing uh, to absolutes when they say right side of right. history, whatever it's like. And then at the same time saying, oh, there's no absolutes. It's just what we create. We make our own meaning and stuff. And it's like, I, I think they had rights. I think that was meaningful. I think it was true <laughs> that slavery was wrong always. You know, it did become true. <laughs> well, like, I mean, we're talking philosophically and philosophy is kind of a traditionally masculine thing too, right? Like, yeah, I think it's strange that we have some gender stereotypes like, well, men like to do stupid things and drink beer and shoot guns and be loud and whatnot. Because traditionally to be masculine was also to be a great thinker, right. And to have, yeah. have uh, discernment and wisdom in some sense, like the elder was the, the man that you would look to for advice or, or, you know, some kind of guidance and things. Yeah. Uh, like the idea of the warrior poet or like the warrior philosopher. My yeah. favorite is Marcus Aurelius. Yes. Well, my, fa <laughs> my fictional favorite, I should say is <laughs> Katsipoto in the last samurai. Okay. Katsumoto is the leader of his own village. He's the, the samurai general. He's fighting a revolution. And the entire so movie. True story. Uh, well, I mean, historical context, it's true. And Katsumoto is based on a true person, but the story oh, okay. isn't true. Yeah. Okay. But in the, whole, in the whole movie, he's working on a poem. Hmm. Like, that's one of the big things he's trying to do. He's like, I'm trying to, he's trying to write a haiku while also being like the noble warrior of his civilization, yeah. which is awesome. And like you said, Marcus Aurelius, like a great fighter who was also a great thinker. Yeah. Right, like that's not, and I, I, the one of the theories I heard also uh, is Plato. Apparently, his name it can mean large or broad, and the idea is that he was a large man because he was a wrestler when he was younger. Mm. He, was a, he was a fighter, but then he later became a great thinker and a great, yeah. uh, you know, and, or Teddy Roosevelt, like we were talking about earlier. Teddy Roosevelt was a statesman who was also a fighter. He was a soldier. He was a boxer. He did. Well, he, he had like, a black. Belt. He like wanted to be. <laughs> right? Didn't he like well, buy a bunch of like. Uh, a musket and a sword and stuff and then like hire someone to take pictures with it and like i'm a man <laughs> no he led in the the spanish-american war he led a battalion like he was wasn't he was he legit longer, like wasn't he like we need a fight we need a fight he was a little bit quick on the trigger later in life. <laughs> <A war monster. laughs> but okay that's the problem right like because he had to prove like i have to be i have to right. prove like that guy i forget his name uh that that um, Hispanic billionaire guy, uh, he was like on Joe Rogan one time, and he was talking. He's like, he's crazy. He's like, my biggest regrets in life is I didn't see combat. And right before my mother died, I told her she was fine. <laughs> before she died of some sickness. <laughs> so those are my two biggest regrets in life. Because he was in Vietnam, and he didn't see action. He's like, I never saw action. So I never felt fulfilled and stuff. And then he became like a mercenary, like an actual like mercenary in foreign countries to like go on missions and stuff and because he wanted to see action he just wanted to like fight and he ended up like uh stabbing a bear to death because <laughs> but he had to like pay for this crazy safari experience to like go hunt with a knife and he killed a bear with a pistol he had a pistol and a knife and he had to like go and that was like his 
bloodlust, but because he just felt like <laughs> I have to see. Because I never saw action in Vietnam, and so it's like, oh my gosh, this guy's nuts. But so, I mean, what, yeah, what's the that's toxic masculinity. That's the question. What's the problem there? Because like the instinct to fight is not necessarily bad, right? It's like the need to fight. Like right. I need to yeah. like, punch somebody in the face and get a fight. So that's, that's the guys, the kind of guys that like go to bars and like look for a fight. Look They're like, fight. oh, I'm going to get into a fight tonight. Right. Instead of getting a fight, so I'm going to push somebody or do something, and we're going to fight. How do you and get to that like, point? Like, what what gets you to that point? No outlet, no good outlet for like true masculinity, I guess, or just like a bad example of your dad got drunk and fought all the time, so you think like, oh, he's a manly man, so that's what I'm going to do or whatever. And usually those guys hate their fathers too, <laughs> ironically. They turn right into it. They end up just like them. I mean, but, we have yeah. to all turn into our father at some point. Like <laughs> well, that's we're Hitchens, we have to kill our father. <laughs> we have to kill our father. Yeah, to I mean, replace them. So the, the outlet is, is an important thing because out, masculine outlets – kind of throughout history that was a thing like you had you you had to be a farmer because that society depended yeah. on you or yeah, you had right. to be a soldier because society depended on you to fight that's at some point we have to call on you right yeah that's what changed it. the sedentary lifestyle of yes. like we don't have to hunt and gather anymore right so you can be a soy boy work on computers <laughs> <laughs> you can watch rocky and get hype when he's training and then you feel like it too. yeah yeah Man. that's true it's crazy I mean, what do we? Industrial revolution. Yes, it made life easier and an easy life. It was Tim Kennedy said, uh, uh, "Hard times make hard men. Hard men make soft times. Soft times make soft men." Mm, yeah, like we, we made life easier, and now we're softer because of it. And now we run Spartan races and do right. jiu jitsu and like, try find that like pay a million dollars to go fight a bear with a knife and like <laughs> yeah, everything. Right. There's always someone right. trying to raid your village or you had right. to like hunt for your food sometimes with bow and arrows or whatever. And uh, yeah, it also says a need to defend, you know, because, because there was always a threat. There was right. always, there was a threats, whether by nature or by other people, there was a threat of like, I have to know how to fight because it wasn't an option. It wasn't mm -hmm. like, you didn't have to go to a bar looking for a fight. That fight was constantly coming to you until, you know, I would say things got better. But, yeah, we do kind of lose something with that, you know, without that need to go at it all the time and stuff. And, I mean, yeah. we had outlets to some extent through sports. Yeah. Like sports, sports, yeah. sports is mock combat. That's what sports yeah. is. You have two teams or two armies and we fight each other. Competition, yeah. Right. It's competition. It's a way to get out that energy, to learn teamwork, to find leadership, to to work on aggression, all that stuff. But even that's kind of dying now. Now, yeah. It's not even going a year without sports right now. Well, <laughs> I mean, in that sports, like the, the uh, basketball is an example. Like basketball is – it's not a com contact sport per se. Like it's not football. You're not trying to kill each other. Yeah. But it's become like a – it's become real soft. Yeah. Like it's the the the, con the contact is so minimal yeah. that it's it's like run and shoot, run and shoot, run and shoot. It's it's almost like a display of like look how athletic I am as opposed to like well, shoot sports. Well, yeah, but I mean, <laughs> uh, I know what you mean. Like there there isn't there there isn't that like kind of let's settle it on the field. You right. know, yeah. we're gonna have, we're gonna have the referee settle it for us. We're gonna have the referee call fouls. That's right. exactly. you know, yeah, the baseball like kind of thing too is like it. And it's a good way of like policing itself. And then that is a good basketball is a good example because yeah, like it seems like in, you see that uh, Last Dance with uh, the no, Bucks, I haven't watched Chicago Bulls. It's pretty cool. It's really good. Michael Jordan, 
he has that competitive, I would say, masculine spirit. But he's derided for it, though. It's like, oh, he's bad. He shouldn't be that competitive. He shouldn't be that. And he's just like, I don't know. I don't want to tell you. I just want to win. Like, <laughs> like whatever. Like, uh, call me whatever name you want. Like, that's just, I, was, I don't know what to do with that. Like, that's just me. And so, but yeah, they, they got into fights and stuff on, you know, with the Pistons and stuff. There's a lot of right, right. bad blood and elbows thrown. And, you know, it was kind of just settled there. But when that don't, when that's not there, so, you know, Zaza with like, the Golden State Warriors, Zaza, the mm-hmm. or whatever his name is, um, or Zaza, you know what I'm talking about. So the Golden State Warriors, dead. he's a dirty player. Like Popovich came out and told, said, like, he's a dirty player, cheap shots, all these things. And there's like all these highlight reels of him just pulling cheap shots. That wouldn't have happened in the 90s. Right. Because he takes an elbow to the, to the face on the next play. And that's it. And he never does it again. You know what I mean? Right. Because, but, but now it's like, eh, what? I get suspended. Oh, I get, you know, whatever. It's like, that's terrible. Like you need to, there has to be that kind of policing of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, same with like baseball with, you know, being in players, right. you know, yeah. it's like a code. It's like a code that they police itself. Well, now it's like we got umpires and we got cameras and everything is, you know, policed by someone else. So yeah. And that, that scene is like bad to, to kind of, to do that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But you know, but there I mean, was something I, to it though. Cause there's the idea of self-policing, is a really good idea in theory, right? Mm-hmm. Like we'll take care of it. If somebody steps out of line, we'll handle the problem. We're a unit yeah. society, but then you have stuff where it goes too far, mm-hmm. right? So there, there is, I, I understand an argument for like, well, we can't let that happen. Yeah. Like we can't have hazing because somebody <laughs> takes it too far. Yeah. That's if true. I was the one guy that takes it too far and now somebody's dead and now what are we going to do? <laughs> And now we got to scrap yeah. it all. I mean, yeah. Like, what's the answer, though? Like, it's not – honestly, like, hazing and, like, fraternities and stuff, I think there's, like, seriously a uh, homoerotic underlying <laughs> – You're not the first person to say that. That's the- <laughs> I mean, Project Mayhem, right? Like <laughs> – Yeah. Are we talking about like Fight Club? Yeah, like yeah. I mean, Chuck Palahniuk like, is gay. Man. Yeah, yeah, like Fight Club is gay. Like, <laughs> like was the gayest movie ever. <laughs> I mean, they're rolling around on the floor shirtless. Yeah, and that, that scene where Edward Norton is just beating up Jared Leto. Yeah, because he's jealous. Why'd you jealous do that? Lover. He's jealous, right? Yeah. I wanted to destroy something beautiful. Like, yeah. oh, okay. it's getting it's getting real weird. Totally gay, but it's so funny. <laughs> like, that's a huge thing of bro culture. Right. I'm like, yeah, Fight Club, man. <laughs> but it's like yeah. it's not gay dude we're fighting so i tell you i'm making out <laughs> yeah <laughs> but i mean that's almost like like you know we were talking about how uh if, if we look at the old the older ideas of like statesmen and, and philosophers and poets let's be, right? hey, on, let's be clear shannon i don't hate fight club <laughs> I love Fight Club. I'm like, I don't know what that says about me, but like, I, that's a good, you know. He made some valid points in the movie, like the idea of a feminized society. Yeah. And you have like the whole idea that nihilism and right. the. Well, yeah. I mean, how would his whole character is, is like, you know, talks about going through these catalogs to order stuff he doesn't care about. Yeah. The idea of being abandoned by fathers and raised by mothers, and you have yeah. this pent up aggression that you have to get out somehow. And, I mean, it's another. They they lash out at the system also. Yeah. Right? The system is the problem. Yeah, 
and I would say that that goes into the homosexuality thing of of a misdirected affection for yeah. like fatherless men and like n never having that. And there's 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 a lot of psychological you know psychological aspects to that. Yeah, uh, yeah the, you know the things you own end up owning you kind of thing. Again, materialism. It all comes comes down to the materialism. Uh, <laughs> I love rich boy. What? Talk about the right same fight club. I mean, I guess you can say, uh, I don't know, man. It, that's, I think Fight Club has, Fight Club is like a lot of uh, secular philosophy is that it can identify a lot of the symptoms, but it can't get at the root problem. Yeah. Right? Well, again, like, the root problem is the stuff. Right. <laughs> it's destroy the stuff, destroy the Starbucks, destroy the cars. They go bashing the headlights of the cars, of the nice cars and stuff. Yeah, and yes. So, yeah. I, I want to talk about this because he's saying blaming others for your problems. And, you know, so to, to an extent, that is a, ma a, a decidedly unmasculine thing is to unload your responsibility on somebody else, right? Mm -hmm. Like you're responsible for the situation that you're in, whether or not you were dealt a bad hand, whether or not you didn't have this, you made choices and this mm -hmm. is where you are. But at the same time, the people who got you to where you are do have responsibility to guide you in the right direction. So when we talk about fatherlessness, like there is a sense of blame to go on a bad father for the place where his son ends up, right? Yeah, like that's fair to say, I think. Yeah, I mean, I think it's the weirdest thing when parents see their kids behaving a certain way and they're just like baffled. Like I don't <laughs> like like they just met this kid, and it's like, what are you talking about? That's your thing. That's your fault. Like you have some responsibility there right. as far as like. I don't know why he does that. It's like, because you let him do that. Yeah, it's your you, reason. Because you always let him do that. And he thinks it's okay. And he thinks he runs the house and whatever it is. Like, there's there's some, you know, look, people are different and you can't. It's just like, I did I, I did what I was supposed to do and he just became a serial killer. It's like, okay, you're not right. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, there's some people that are just like, they're just broke. Everything right. Or I did, you know, and that's true. Like, that's a that's a hard reality too of like raising kids, of just thinking like, I, I, I did what i was supposed to do i think as far as like people honestly say like we look we didn't have high expectation we didn't abuse him we didn't neglect him we didn't you know coddle him whatever and it's just like they're still just making mistakes and there's there's a certain point where like look they're just it's got it's gonna be god's plan for them not yours right it's right. like we did everything right did all these things and it's like yeah but you're not god ultimately you know and you're not dictating this person's destiny ultimately you know and yeah, that's a hard that's a hard thing to accept as a parent because you want to do everything right and then you feel like you are and the steam things are still going wrong. You know, but. I did notice he does pick up things like if, if I'm having an argument and I'm you, he he matches my cadence. Talk about your son Gerard. Yeah, Gerard. He'll match my cadence. He's two, and he'll match like my cadence and my tone without saying words. Like he gets what I'm doing, so I'll be like because this and he's behind me babbling like ah da ah da 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 like he gets what I'm doing even though he doesn't understand the concept of it. So he's picking up that tendency like oh this is how you deal with people <laughs> by being aggressive and making and mimicking this stuff. It's like oh man I gotta stop doing that. Yeah, I do, man, and you don't realize it until you see yeah. it in them. Right, yeah. and you, you hear you say something you're like oh I said that when we were in the yeah. car. But it's good to realize that be and not be just baffled by this new like what where did they get that? Like, what do you talk? What do you think they caught it? You know, <laughs> from you, especially that young. You know, like you're yeah. their, you're their influence. What mm. do you think? You know, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Um, I wanted to read from this book too. Um, the masculine mandate required reading for every Christian man. Um, 
just I think one of the best words on on biblical manhood. Um, he had this really interesting thing, like the first one to go through. He says, "This is what modern and postmodern masculinity has been all about: men behaving like little boys forever, serving themselves in the name of self discovery." Mm. What do you think about that with the like self discovery and like, yeah, I gotta find myself and I gotta you know this kind I mean, of selfish. That's for sure a modern concept. Like, I, I imagine if you took somebody from the 1800s and you're like, "What? What do you? What do you know about you? Like, what are you talking about? I'm just gonna harvest so we don't find yourself." Yeah. yeah. <laughs> there was a. Did you ever watch that show, The Middle? Yes, yes. The the dad, you know, and he's kind of like an old old old, you know, kind of guy, and uh, he's like, for some reason, he had to find a job, and he's in a job interview, and of course, he's like con- contractor for 20 years, and he's just right. like in this job interview, and they're like, "How would you describe yourself?" He's like, I wouldn't. <laughs> they're like, but, well, what, you know, what, who are you? He's like, how would you describe yourself? He's like, tall. <laughs> like, what are you talking about? I want to, I need to work. I have to work. <laughs> you know, he's trying to get a job, you know, but it's like, find yourself. Find that's your, interesting though, you man. Like in modern co- corporate culture, like the personality test and like, where do you plug in? Enneagrams. I'm an eight. Oh, I'm a, I was like, well, what are you talking about? What you know where you? I plug in? Wherever you'll pay me to plug in because I need a job. <laughs> that's, where I, that's where I plug in. Yeah. But that's yeah. A, I mean, the, I, you know, what's funny about the middle is that the, the character, the dad, was the janitor on Scrubs? Yeah, maybe the most whiny protagonist of all time. <laughs> they don't name it, just the janitor. Yeah, just the janitor. I love him. I love that show, yeah. but John Dorian is like one of the worst characters in all of television. He epitomizes that find yourself, like yes. your whole life. Like he nearly, nearly narrating his own life. Right. Like, hmm, you know, like, I mean think about myself constantly and like, yeah, but I mean, I do it too. Like, I think that people do it. Like that's, it's like, I'm, I'm the star of the Solomon show and Mm -hmm. what's going to happen next. And I got to make this movie interesting and meaningful. And, you know, it's like, don't, who who do you think you are? I guess. I think that comes from a natural place too, as, as not just a man, but as a human is like a yearning for purpose is cause like, well, yeah, because you were created with a purpose. You're not random. You're not an accident. You're not chance. There's a reason you're here. But in a world where there's no God, we have to define that for ourselves. Mm-hmm. I pop this up. I see you reading on the side. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> no, it's okay. Because it like shows an entitled worldview and lack of culpability. Instead, he invents a new reality, a lot like we see now. So you, yeah, would- I mean, yeah, that's kind of what we're talking about as far as like entitled worldview or like, um, I don't know. I think there's like a. I, I mean, I've read the book Fight Club too, and there's a there's a hopelessness there. Yes. In 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 this material, because he's just he's just chasing the materialism and stuff, and he's got this lust for things, right? And and then it all blows up, and, he, and but that is kind of like a finding yourself, and it's actually a different person in your head. Uh, but finding meaning, letting go, like true freedom, is letting everything go. And like, that's the nihilism. Like you're putting too much hope and faith in these things that can be just blown up any second. And they are. And so what does that do to you? And so you have to like, let go, let everything go. And then that letting go is freedom. That's like the theme. of the, The guy at the grocery store, right? When he pulls a gun on him and he tells him, if you're not on your way to this in a year, I'm going to come back and see you. It's like, yeah. You know, well, and yeah, it's like giving up on dreams. Like when they're about right. to crash those car, that car. And he's like, what what is one thing you wish you did before you die? He's like build a house and like paint a self portrait. It's like 
why haven't you done those things? You're not letting go. Like you're hanging on to other, like there, I think the purpose of fight club is like, there's so much in this world that we're hanging on to and put, putting stock and meaning in, uh, he's talking about like bullcrap colors, like cobalt and fuchsia. Right. <laughs> you know? and Excel. Yeah. Like all these like corporate mumbo jumbo stuff. And it's and just that's, like, I mean, that's kind of a good point. That's kind of true. Yeah. Like there is a lot of truth, but it is that nihilistic, hopeless truth, you know. Well, because at the end of the day, if you're an atheist and you're like, "Well, there's no hope in this material stuff," what is there hoping? Because that's all there is. Yeah, well, and that's every like, uh, uh, too smart for his own good atheist character, like Mm -hmm. the 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 uh, tortured genius, you know. I'm just like, oh, I know I, I've like Rick and Morty, right? Like Rick is like, everything is meaningless and I know it, so it sucks. So I'm just going to try and have a good time, whatever. Like that's, that's, you've reached the end of the matrix and you're well, like, I mean, <laughs> Dr. Manhattan and Watchmen. That's his yeah. whole thing, right? Everything yeah. is, I can see the screen. We're just characters. I can't control anything. Yeah. Alan Moore almost has to like force him to find this meaning in, in Silk Spectre because yeah. atheistically he's correct. Yeah. Like, we're all just at atoms in motion. None of this matters. Why should I get involved? There's no difference to me if the world blows up or it doesn't. I can see future past presidents all the same. None of this matters. Yeah. So more has to like force this like, oh, he sees wonder in the everyday person. Like mm-hmm. why? It doesn't make any sense from his yeah. worldview. Yeah. Well, and there is that, that, that like uh, romanticism to being lost. It's like, well, we don't yes. know. We're just a pale, blue, a pale blue dot drifting in the cosmos. It's like, what are you talking about? Then why are you getting upset at school shootings? What are mm. you talking about? You know there's more to it than that. You know right. you're finding me. You were meaningless atoms finding meaning, looking for meaning. What are you talking about? We should have no capacity for that. Well, you know how do, how, how do how do weeds look for meaning? They don't, <laughs> and neither should we. But you know because we're basically same thing on different scales. And that, that's so, kind of counterculture masculinity. Like counterculture masculinity is the beautiful drifter, right? Like the starving artist. The yeah. the worst thing that can happen to you is success and meaning. Yeah, the or, or people, think you know something. Right, right. Like the guy, the guy who knows, like, oh, I've got it all figured out. I was like, oh, that's the, that's the, that's the loser. That's the, that's yeah, the, yeah, that's the, <laughs> yeah. That's uh, yeah. I saw Office Space for the first time, not so long ago. <laughs> really? Yeah, first, first time? time I ever saw it. I've never seen Office Space before. Oh, and it, it's kind of that, right? Like the beauty yeah. is when he realizes that none of this matters and it's all pointless. Yeah. Then, then, you go. Right? That's now he can do it. Now he can go after what he actually wants in life. And now, have you seen American Beauty? I've never seen American Beauty. It's like Fight Club for girls. <laughs> Kevin Spacey and uh, what's her face? Yeah, they, she, they, he, he's this guy. He's a middle-aged suburban guy who, uh, like, falls in love with one of his daughter's friends, and like he just starts starts working out, starts smoking weed again. He basically just reverts back to his boyhood again is like oh you know adulthood was something to be put off that's another thing about masculinity of like marriage is game over yes. and like oh put off adulthood as long as possible be mm-hmm. a 19 year old idiot for as yes. long as possible that's the best <laughs> that's the time it's all downhill from there yeah. it's like what a terrible way to put this so it's just not true <laughs> but i mean it has to be true in a godless world right i, I saw that i'm pop this up here too was it? Uh, calls back to your podcast a month or so yeah. ago. We had to discredit your own sinful nature for the way you are. So, for instance, you're not, you're, you know, we can say, oh, well, it's my father's fault or it's society's fault. It's not my fault that I'm the way I am, is what yeah. you said in the fight club, basically. 
Yeah. It's like, true. Selfishness. Yeah. Like just because you're selfish, you can't realize it doesn't make you less selfish. Though it is true. I mean, like the guy, the 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 main character, the narrator he doesn't have a name, but the narrator in Fight Club is selfish because it is about like, well, I'm just trying to find his own fulfillment, and there's like very little regard for how he can pour into other people right. or what he has a responsibility to like do something or, or whatever. Uh, that was one of the things you said, right. About responsibility. And uh, what did you say? Right. Yeah, like well, the, the, the two is responsibility and sacrifice, taking sacrifice. on responsibility and sacrificing yourself for others. Yeah. And, you know, the irony of fight club is that his savior was within himself the whole time. Right. Like the <laughs> person who came and changed his life was himself. Just, he didn't realize it. Yeah. Spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> It's been 20 years, 30 years. Same guy. Yeah. <laughs> it's been forever at this point. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, that was, I think, Wilson. It was either Wilson or one of the people from Christ Church who was talking about it, that radical sacrifice is the defining trait of masculinity. Yeah. And if you look at it from you know a biblical perspective, the ultimate man, the true man, Jesus, did those two things. He, he took the ultimate responsibility for humanity, and he made the ultimate sacrifice for humanity. Yeah. Without those things, we'd all still be dead, and there's no hope. Like to to bring hope, that's what he had to do. Sacrifice, yeah. I mean, Jesus is the ultimate man. You want to find out what being a man is? It's Jesus. Mm. Like that's that's what I mean. Of course, that's the easy Sunday school answer. But like, <laughs> <laughs> what would you say? Well, how that, let's look into that. So Jesus Christ right. is the, is the what it means to be a man, and right. like specifically male, right? right. Right, um, you know, human, sure, but male. He was a right. male. Um, he is a male, and that. So, what is that? So, how would you say that Jesus exemplifies the the perfect man? Mm. Uh, I mean, there was things that he did that I guess we don't think about him doing. Like we, the cultural idea of Jesus is like the peace, love Jesus, right? Like he was nice to everybody. He made everybody lunch. He valued women. He was, you know, that was that's the Jesus that everybody's comfortable with. He yeah. was soft spoken and he looked out for everybody, but he also meek. was confrontational. Meek, yes. Yeah. But he was confrontational. Like he was a he was a man who stood up when it was time to stand up. He cleared the temple. And what's interesting about the clearing of the temple in context is that the area that he cleared out was the courtyard of the Gentiles. That was the area designated for the non-Jews to like pay tribute to God or pay homage to God. And it had mm -hmm. been turned into an area. The Jews had basically uh, monopolized it. They're like, well, this is where we do our commerce, and then we go into the temple. So there's no yeah. more place for the Gentiles. And he came and ripped that apart to open it up again. So mm -hmm. like he saw injustice, and he fought it. He stood up against um, a, a sense of cowardice because when we look at the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they were cowards. Like they weren't yeah. real, they weren't willing to take him on in public, but they were willing to find false witnesses and plot against him in, in a kangaroo court. Yeah. So he had boldness. He had uh, a sense of almost a lack of decorum in a way, but it was always fueled by zeal for the Lord. Yeah. Which is the difference. It was always channeled as doing the will of God, doing the work of God, reaching yeah. the people for God. It was never uh, to, to display his own machismo in any way. Yeah. Or like to you find yourself and be right. fine the way you are. It's like, no, we need to follow God. I came to do. Yeah. You're freezing. Froze. You're frozen, bro. Back. And there we go. We're yeah, back. we dropped out for a second, but we're back. 
Okay. I dropped out. You dropped out. I dropped out. I hit the signal and it dropped out. <laughs> uh, the whole thing with Jesus, he says, you know, I came to do the will of him who sent me. Or when he's in the garden about to do the thing, he says, you know, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. And I, I think we minimize the cup. But thy will be done. Right. Yeah. And we think when we talk about the cup, we think about, oh, he was about to be crucified. And that's pain. Like, yes, that's true. But the cup that he's talking about was the wrath of God about to be satisfied on him. Yeah. Like, a thing that we can't fathom. He knew he was about to take in full. Yeah. If it'd be possible, let it pass for me, but nevertheless, not my will. Like his will was secondary always yeah. to the will of the father. Yeah. Which is, I mean, that's something that we, like you were saying, if marriage is to be put off until, you know, as far as possible, when yeah. you're done living your life, then you go and get married, then you settle down. Yeah. But the first thing that, you know, man does, man's created, man goes to work and then man gets married. Mm. Like that's what happens in the creation story. That's what we're here to do. Work, cultivate, get married, have children. That's yep. part of it all. Yeah, that's what this uh, masculine mandate talks about. Points to Genesis two fifteen, says the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of of Eden to work it and keep it. And what uh, Richard Phillips does in this book, uh, masculine mandate, is he basically says that sums it up: work and keep. That's the masculine mandate: is to work and keep. And uh, yeah, it says taken together, these two words serve as a summary of the Bible's mandate for masculine behavior. The Lord took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And it's kind of cool. Do you ever read um, Wild at Heart? No. Um, uh, it's a guy, I forget his name. He, he talks about it in this book, um, John Eldred's Wild at Heart. He talks about how, I guess, the whole, the whole premise of uh, Wild at Heart. I read it when I was in high school. I don't really remember it much, but I remember it being, like, okay or something. And uh, I, th I think it was pretty good, but I think his premise, what Richard Phillips talks about, is um, that – John Elder says that, that man was created outside of the garden, right? Mm. And then he was put in the garden. But his creation, his original creation was outside of the garden. Mm -hmm. And so there was like this idea of like man being wild and like born for the outdoors and born for the the like noble savage kind of thing, I guess. But Richard Phillips' uh, kind of critique on that is like, but God put him in the garden. <laughs> <laughs> like, what are, you, what are you talking about? Like, that's that's a man's place is, is in the home, right. you know? And, and yeah, like that's, God put him in the garden and for a reason. And it's like to work it and keep it and keep his family. And so, yeah, like you said responsibility. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, that's an important part about the idea of fighting too. Like kind of in the creation mandate, there's an aggression built into it, right? Like to subdue the earth is to do battle with the earth, right? Like bend it to your will, plow this, till it, grow it, make something happen. Yeah. Or animals, right? The idea of like you will have dominion over them is like you tame them. You bring them down so that they're useful to you. But what that does is make them useful to you and society and your family. Like you make something that's profitable and good, right? Mm -hmm. Whereas most of the time the, the secular idea of like fighting – is to fight for glory or bragging mm -hmm. rights or something like that. Like it doesn't actually do anything for anyone but yourself. Yeah. It's like like productive, constructive. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Like the, the, the urge to fight is built in also it's hardwired. Like you, you're, you're built for conflict. You're built for struggle, but it's the kind of, um, Nate Wilson talks about, it. he has a great talk about tr troublemakers mm. on, uh, it was at one of the conferences they did. And he talks about like, you know, God put them in the garden and the first thing they have to do is fight the, the serpent. Mm. Like the serpent was already there in creation. It wasn't like he showed up somewhere. He wasn't supposed to be there and he showed up. Like it's already yeah. there. And the conflict is set from the beginning. Like here's your job. You're in a garden. The rest of the world's a desert. Make the rest of the world look like this. Yeah, yeah. That's a big part of it, yeah. 
conflict is built into this stuff and we still have that we just in a secular society that's told you you have no purpose you have no meaning you didn't come from anywhere you're not going to anywhere this yeah. is all you have but what do i do with that urge to have conflict other than just fight for the sake of fighting yeah there's there's no yeah, there's, there's a mandate of conquest in that of for eden like the purpose wasn't just to stay like there's a planet but you're supposed to stay in this garden right you know what that's not i don't think that was the case <laughs> um from this book, he says, uh, Richard Phillips says, although the in in introduction of sin into the garden changes the nature of work, God's calling for man to work is entirely holy and good. Bruce Waltke rightly says, quote, work is a gift of God, not a punishment for sin. Hmm. Even before the fall, humanity had duties to perform. It was after God told Adam to be fruitful by means of his work that God declared that creation was, quote, very good. Hmm. One in Genesis one thirty one. So yeah, it's like there was always work. It was yeah. just, well, now you're gonna sweat, and now it's gonna get to till it hard. It's gonna be uncomfortable. That's what another thing he says too. Uh, somewhere in here he says it, it doesn't make things different. It makes things makes things painful. Sin it doesn't make things different. It makes things painful, right? And so like I'll bring I'll bring pain in childbirth. It's like, well, right. was there childbirth before that wasn't painful? I mean, maybe I don't know. Um, yeah, mom. My mom said, "What if you're a single man?" Right, which is uh, a good question. The true the answer to that is get married. <laughs> <laughs> like honestly, like that's the that's the answer is to get married. I think men have a responsibility to get married, mm. unless, like Paul, you have a outlier, uh, very rare gift of singleness. Uh, and I think you'll know it. I think uh, you know. There's certain nuances to that, certain you know specific things with that, but I, I think generally, usually, get married. Like right. that should be a goal of every man mm. is to get married and have a family because that's, I mean, that's the. It was not good for Adam to be alone. Right. You know, he didn't say like, oh, well, he's alone. I'm going to give him the gift of singleness. It's like, no, he needs a, <laughs> he needs a woman. He needs a woman. <laughs> it's the only thing that God created and said is not very not good. Right. You know, he created the stars, he created the heavens, created, it was very good. And he said it was good, and it was good. He created man, it is not good for man to be alone. Mm. And it's like, it's the only thing in his creation that he said is not good. And he fixed it by making him a woman. And yeah, so like, I think men, like, that's part of it is to be men, to be sing so to be married. So but what's the men that want to, right. but until then, until then. work. <laughs> work and build and construct and do things, but be looking for a woman that should be right. part of it. Like, oh, he doesn't have a job until then. What until then? What do you mean until then? Until he gets one. Right. You know? <laughs> looking for one. Yeah. Like you have, you should be looking for one, applying for one, building your credentials as a man of an eligible uh, bachelor man to, uh, yeah. I mean, until then, sanctification. Until then, discipline yourself. Until then, you know, prepare yourself for marriage. Learn from married men, you know, as mentors and stuff. And, and then get married like that should be part of the goal is to get married right and yeah i mean and you know i mean i can it's I, easy i'm not saying like oh just like get a girlfriend or whatever like right. just, i mean yeah i mean yeah like yeah take care of your parents yeah plenty of people take care of before you get married sure <laughs> well i mean that's part of masculinity though is the the, the idea that we have to take care of stuff or people yeah. or things like the idea of taking care of someone or someone something that's not yourself is abhorrent to modern culture. Mm -hmm. Like that's like, cause it's responsibility. Yeah. And your ultimate responsibility is your own happiness in, in modern culture. So why would you 
put off whatever to take care of somebody else? Why would you give of yourself, your time, your money, anything for somebody yeah. else? Yeah. This so Richard Phillips again. <laughs> uh, again, we're like going through this. Well, that was that book too, but this one too. Uh, it says it is true that the Apostle Paul identified a quote gift of singleness that he wished all men had. First Corinthians seven seven. He was referring to the ability some men possess to devote themselves to serving God without the encumbrances of marriage. So unless you have the gift of Paul, uh, the gift Paul referred to, it is imperative for you, for your well-being, that you be married to move beyond the, quote, not good status of single adulthood. It says, today when God looks on single males and says, not good, he undoubtedly has in mind a long list of truly unfit helpers among mm. them, the pornography, video games, sports obsession, and empty pizza boxes that are intrinsic to so many young adult male lives, even among Christians. Our society tells young adult men to deprive themselves of God's provision for their physical, emotional, and sexual needs so they can remain as immature and self-absorbed as possible for as long as possible. You know what the Bible says about this. It is, is just is not good. I mean, that's true. Like, yeah, fill, up, fill your life up with all this other bullcrap instead of getting married. Put it off as long as possible and just revel in all these stupid things until uh, – so you have to get married to oh, like your girlfriend pressures you. And that's like that's the other thing. Is these, these, I think it's hilarious. These guys live with girls, these girls, the girlfriend for like five years and think right. they're not married. Right. It's like you crazy. Like you're married, bro. <laughs> but I mean, we have like we were talking about earlier was when we talked about the industrialization and how it made everything easier. Like it also gave us free time. What mm -hmm. what we need all those other things for? I had to fill up that free time because before yeah. like. What free time? What are you talking about? I get up at sunrise and I work till sunset. There's yeah. no free time. I got I got a farm. I got kids. I got all of this stuff. I'm in the factory. There is no free time. Yeah. Now there's an abundance of free time. Yeah, and I think we, we we worked to like innovate in technology and all those things to get that free time without any implication of like how we should be spending that free time. Yeah. So you're right. A lot of technology and, and new things for the modern world give us a lot of time to play video games or to watch TV. You know what I mean? Like Netflix is working on that free time thing for us. You know? <laughs> like they have, you got plenty of television to binge, you know, and nothing to produce and create yourself, mm. you know, and mm. it's becoming this like consumer culture, just like, well, I'm going to entertain myself to death because right. I can, and there's a new episode on and there's a new movie out and there's a new whatever, you know? So it's just looking for the next little thrill till we die. Uh, but and we have all that free time and then, yeah, we just like, blow it all away <laughs> i mean that's you're talking about producing something yourself of value like I, I feel like a lot of people don't think they can a lot of men specifically don't think they can right yeah and i think um man it's a two-edged sword because on the on the one side we have free time that we fill with uh, you know nothingness Right, we, YouTube holes and Netflix binge watching and all of that stuff. On the other hand, our work is also kind of nothingness that we fill with just fluff, right? Like you're you're a cog in a machine. You do a thing. You work is soulless now in the modern world. Mm, yeah. Right. Like in in the older times, there was an idea of like, well, I'm working so that my family eats this winter, right? Like yeah. my family farm that was handed down to me that my fought from my father that I'll pass down to my son. We till this and we make this and we build because this is our thing. And it was fulfilling yeah. that way. We don't really have that. Like you don't, you don't own the company you work for. 
you don't see the product of your work, you're you're basically contracted. Like you're gonna do this for me, and I'm gonna give you this, and that's the end of this. That's all it is which, to you. Which is a form of slavery. It's not owning the production of your work. You make all these things, and you're doing all this labor and work, and you don't get any sort of benefit from it, really. I mean, you, I'm gonna pay you to do it, but that's it. And I'm mm. you know I'm not gonna pay you anymore. And you're gonna be <laughs> wanting more from you without. <laughs> right. You know. And that's where you get the weekend warrior, like oh, five days a week. I'm a schlub in a, in a cubicle. Everybody's working for the weekend. <laughs> and I'm in Africa doing safari, so I don't feel like a dentist. <laughs> Or, you know, I, I take kickboxing on the weekend and I spar a little bit so I can feel like that manly rush that I don't get during the week. Yeah. It just, I don't know. It just sounds like uh, never like get off the grid. That's a horrible idea. That's <laughs> that's saying disengage from society. And I think that's an idea that the apostles would abhor. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Off grid. I, I listened to, speaking of manliness, Art of Manliness uh, yes. episode. They did a re-air from last year of this guy with minimalism uh, or like uh, off living off the grid. Mm. Talk about living off the grid. And it sounded terrible. <laughs> <laughs> and he was going on about it as if it was like a great way to live your life and stuff. I'm like, bro, you're talking, well, about, you're talking about an outhouse. <laughs> bro. And, and then he's talking about like, oh, yeah, it costs a lot of money to get set up with your own – your own well. It's like a well to cost uh, to dig your own well for your own water costs like twenty five thousand dollars. Like, oh yeah, because I work a day slub just having that lying around to go. That's what I'm saying. Of course, who who doesn't want to live out in the woods in a cabin in a nice with a nice view and nice weather and nice you know whatever. It's like sure, you know how much that costs. Again, like it costs money. It does. Like you're gonna have. It's gonna take time to like spend money to like save up for that and then. Yeah, it's just tough, man. Like, I, I, you get me rich to live that simply. You know, we talked about like how, you know, 50, 60 years ago, uh, well, actually, like 80 years ago, uh, only rich people, uh, only poor people had horses. Right. But now, only rich people have horses because they can afford a barn and afford the land and afford the attendants to take care of, you know, and it's like, well, now only rich people, it's like we've done this flip flop and now, you know, all poorest people are driving their own cars. And, <laughs> you know, it's like, wow. Well, I mean, I, I listened to a podcast a couple of weeks ago from Darren Doan. Another man, Moscow, Idaho is like the hub of biblical. Yeah, yeah, that's off grid. That's as off grid as you'll go, right? Snow is what keeps me from going. I'm too acclimated to this Texas 105 weather. I can't do it in the snow. Yeah, it might be but, uh, really good, Darren though. Darren was talking about the sin of minimalism and how mm. minimalism is this idea that we're going to scale down, we're going to scale down, we're going to scale down. Only the bare minimum of what we need. We don't. We don't need this big space. We don't need – but then at the end of your life, you end up having nothing to give to anyone because you didn't spend your time building or cultivating anything. All you did was scale down. That's that's a post-mill view. Right. Yeah, that is a post-mill view. Well, I mean maybe if somebody was post-mill, they wouldn't be minimalist, but that's <laughs> a conversation for another time. <laughs> Get the shrinking mindset, <laughs> growing mindset. I like that actually like this too. Like <laughs> poor people used to eat lobster. Yeah, it was a low, it was a low creature. It's a bottom feeder. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's true, right. man. It's weird, man. Like it's all these weird. You see some dude in, you know, five hundred dollars shoes at the bus stop and a, <laughs> on a and a phone. Like the poorest people, especially in America, have a smartphone. Oh yeah. And a car and a house. And it's like they're broke, living paycheck to paycheck. And it's like, what the heck? That you know. You're rich 50 years ago, <laughs> but 
Yeah. I mean, you're already you're living better than any king in history ever lived. You have air conditioning, you're doing great. Yeah, bro. Like anytime that's why, you know, I think I've said it before. Anytime anybody talks about like, oh, which era would you like to live in? What decade would you rather? It's like now, right now. <laughs> I would not want to live in any other like all oh, the the roaring twenties or it's like, oh my god, they have air conditioning. They didn't have deodorant. <laughs> one bath a week. Oh you know man. Uh, you Can know, you imagine wearing like those three-piece tweed suits with no deodorant? Oh I, was watching, I was watching a movie or something. We were watching something, and God, it just everybody's in a suit. Yeah, from the, the from the forties or fifties, and it's like, ugh, it just looks hot. <laughs> I'm thinking of San. I'm thinking of San Antonio, like all the layers. Ugh, I mean, uh, you look you look sharp, you know, but you're just soaked. That's what you're you just carry. A layer of sweat. Oh, yeah, dab it off. Southern dandies. Oh man, Wilton in the heat. <laughs> you know, uh, I forget who talked about it also, but about how, in in a lack of real masculinity, in a lack of responsibility, and a lack of all of that thing, we put on the vestments of masculinity. So we grow beards, or we wear suits, or we stuff like that. Like, yeah. oh, this is manly, this is dapperness, or barbershop culture, or car culture, or whatever it is, because that's a that's a it's a superficial masculinity stereotype. Right. We do the stereotypical thing because the real stuff's hard. Like get married and have kids and yeah. start a business. And that's, I don't know about that stuff. You know, that's something I think about with Joe Rogan. Cause I think Joe Rogan kind of epitomizes the, the modern liberal man, like all just on that edge of like people call him toxic masculinity, but he's also very liberal and very like, you know, uh, tolerant and, in, in things. So, but you know, and he has like uh, Cameron Haynes on. He's got David Goggins on. He's got Jocko Willink on. Right. He's got like all these uh, Navy SEAL guys, all these ultra marathon runners, all these like cool, like motivational, manly men kind of like characters. Right. You know what? I never ever hear any of them talking about family mm. and marriage. And I noticed that because I watch a lot of Joe Rogan. I'm like, man, this is really great. I'm like, this guy never talks about his family. This guy <laughs> never talks about how to be a good father. Mm. Like, he never talks about how to be a good husband. He never talks. It's all about, like, live your dream and your goals and your potential and leave nothing on You know, and, like, that's, yeah, that yeah, it's good. People, men should be productive and, and chase their dreams and, and be productive and uh, ambitious and those kinds of things. But you're he, he's really neglecting, and I think a lot of, uh, like the best the world can offer of manliness neglects those things like family and uh, husband and children and, you know, like wife and all those kinds of things. A podcast of his recently. I don't remember which one it was because they all run together. But they were talking about stuff and how he was like, oh, well, you know, if you're a man and you want to keep stuff, you got to get a place like this. He was talking about his studio, right? And like his studio, he has the full gym. He has the kickboxing setup. He has the archery set. He's basically built a playground. That's a dream. Right. It's a dream, right? It's everything you dream. want. But it becomes I'm gonna, like light a cigar right here, like inside. <laughs> My, like that's a big deal. Is like, how can I smoke a cigar inside <laughs> the air condition? That is like, if if you get that, you've made it. <laughs> you got that set up at your house or something, in your office or wherever. Like you've made it. You got a ventilation system, build your own house with a ventil. You know. You can smoke inside, man. Well, I mean, that's an important aspect. Of, uh, one of the things about masculinity that's kind of lost is like the communal aspect of masculinity. 
like in in modern society, ideally where we should be more connected because of all the ways we have to keep in touch with each other, we're less connected. Like we're more isolated. We're more solo. We're more alone. Yeah. We don't have like in masculinity in the past, it was this idea of like your brothers in arms or you were members of this or you were associated mm -hmm. through this. Like we don't really have that fraternal idea. Yeah. Band of brothers kind of right, exactly. thing that binds us. Right. But I, I mean, that goes to sports. I mean, that's how a lot of people I think have it now. But I mean, after high school or college, if you're not playing sports or whatever, it's like, yeah, well, then it is your family. And then it's like, well, this isn't a, a team I'm on. This is a, so a unit that I have responsibility for and that I can't, you know, have a, I don't know. There is that like camaraderie and that companionship right. of that men need uh, in community. I mean, I would say that in like in an ideal world, I think in, I think it happened and I've seen it is the church being that uh, place for men to meet other like-minded men with right goals in a godly worldview and perspective on these things. Talk about, we're talking about biblical manhood. Like, well, I don't want to just like drink beer and drive big trucks. And like, what, I, what is that? What does it mean to be a man? You right. know, they're getting all the answers from the world from television and from whatever bull crap and no like real true answers and no true companionship no true uh friendship and in that sort of like male camaraderie um and yeah that's something we could probably talk about too is like the feminization of the church yes you know like yeah. that's huge <laughs> the thing about the feminization of the church is it goes hand in hand with the abdication of responsibility of the church yeah. like the, all the things that the church used to do the orphanages the charities the all mm -hmm. the used to do we don't do that anymore yeah Some, Somebody else can do that. What program do you have for me this week? Where am I going to put my kids all summer long? What are you guys running for that? Yeah. It's, yeah. it's, it's become kind of a, a, a fill up. Like Sunday, I need to get my fill up. I need my thing to get me through the week. What does the sermon say about my life? What's the application for me right now? Yeah. You know, yeah, what, it's just another thing we consume. Right. It's another, like, I need my little motivational pick me up and stuff. Yeah. When, when, I think a real big thing is like, well, what, what role do you have in the church? Like mm -hmm. what's your responsibility right. in the church? And it's huge. You have one, uh, as far as leadership. Like, so I grew up in a little, very little church in Wichita Falls and all the men ran the church. Like they led Sunday school. They led the youth group. They led uh, worship, the music in the morning. They preached. They did. I mean, a lot of things they're all married and now all the wives did everything too but the okay. men all the men were active leaders in the church like i could think of like tiny like a few guys men in the church who like did nothing like you it just wasn't a thing everybody did something and participated and helped and, and, and did stuff and as a kid with like not my dad wasn't around that was great because i got like all these positive christian male influences in my life and you know, my mom says she never felt like she wasn't married. Like, <laughs> you know, it's like there's always provision. There was always uh, kind of, you know, I'd go hunting with my friends and their dad and stuff. Mm. And, you know, we'd, we'd do stuff. And it was good. It was it was really good. Um, but and I think that's the proper male role in the church is that leadership of, like, we're going to come by the, the, the uh, fatherless and widow and, you know, take care of that. And that's going to, that's our responsibility, you know, to, to our community, to our church, to our family. And that just kind of extends out. But yeah, I think, uh, Doug Wilson talks about the feminization of the church in this book. I wish I would be able to like flag this a little bit more, but, um, 
because he does talk about like um, how like this this the songs like the uh, I forget what song it is uh, in the garden. Oh, I think I know. Is it the and he walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me that I am his own? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. What's the song, man? Because I always felt weird with some of these two. It was like um, uh, something, let my words be true. Jesus, I'm so in love with you. I was like, I don't know how I feel about this. <laughs> I've like, never seen that. Right? I mean, like, yeah. we're talking about another man. Are we forgetting yeah. that? And I think we do forget that a little bit in the church. We have this ethereal ethereal idea of Jesus, like, oh, this mystical spirit in the sky. It's like, yeah, but he was also a dude with calluses and blisters. and Yeah, he's a carpenter. Yeah, he was a carpenter. Well, I, I think I think that ha- a lot of that has to do with, with – um, I can't find it. Um, has to do with uh, – that, that's, that's a times thing too because if you read Spurgeon uh, and like some of the older guys – They'll say stuff like "our our husband Christ" or mm. "Christ husband" or something like that. Right. And they'll kind of speak in those terms of like we're the bride, right? And he's the, the groom, and but but without any sort of insecurity or right. any sort of like. So I think there is it's kind of a, a thing of the times, and mm. and that kind of goes back to what you're talking about. Like if you read biographies of the founding fathers, and like some of the letters they write to their male friends, it's like. <laughs> hey, he like him? He like him? Or like, it's really weird. But they just spoke floral back then, and they just kind of like were very in touch with your like emotions and stuff. It wasn't. I think that came later. Of like, uh, you can't feel anything <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> mm. but, I mean, because now that's like the thing, right? If you want to show affection to another guy, you punch him or something. Yeah, you can't. It's like, the, but that, but that's an insecurity. Whereas, like a secure guy, would be able to say something like that. Well, I think that's part of the part of the culture is the problem for that too, yeah. with like the prolifer- proliferation of feminization, but also of like uh, homosexuality. Mm-hmm. Like now yeah. there is that, like, well, I don't want to look gay. Yeah. Like, yeah. well, that's, that's a new concern. Like, that's yeah. not else at any point. Yeah, because yeah, it's like, well, that's not a thing, or that's right. like, or that. Yeah, it was a thing though, but it wasn't like oh, so ready to be like oh, that person's feminine or that person, so he's gay. I mean, it's weird that there's like fathers of children. I'm I have a wife and kids, but I don't want to look gay. Like, what are you talking about? (laughs) You have a wife and kids. No one's doubting that you're, you know. Yeah, and it's very strange. Well, it's like on Seinfeld when George is like, he's like, oh, don't you think he's attractive? He's like, how should I know? She's like, you know, just admitting that a man is attractive doesn't make you gay. You know, it doesn't help. <laughs> I mean, that extends to other things too, right? Like, uh, we talk a lot about the idea of masculinity as like the ability to, uh, you know, Lewis talked about uh, chivalry a lot. Mm-hmm. And he talks yeah. about how chivalry was a two part thing, it was a two part system. In a time of war, you had to be willing to fight, but in a time of peace, you had to be willing to be peaceful. Yeah. He was saying, you know, a man who's not willing to fight in a time of war is a coward, but a man who's unwilling to be peaceful is a bully and a yeah. brute. And it's not good to be either one. Yeah. And you, we, we kind of have, like, it goes beyond just not even being able to admit that another man is a, is a good-looking man, but it's the ability to ad- admire the beauty in things. Yeah. Like, we can't have emotions about, like, we can't be moved by anything. Yeah. Like, if you cried during a movie, like, oh, okay, well, clearly you're a woman. 
Well, that's the, so that's, again, that's another Joe Rogan had uh, Bill Burr on recently. And uh, Bill Burr was talking about that. And he's, he's talked about that a lot in his stand up stuff about like, why I don't want to pet this dog because <laughs> I don't think I'm gay. Or it's like, I can't, I can't say happy birthday. What about uh, when the guy got offended because the guy offered him a cookie? Yeah, I want a cookie, but I asked for it. You don't tell me that. <laughs> yeah, but there's that insecurity. And, uh, and it's funny because he's like, you know, you can't, I can't say that sunset's beautiful, mm. you know, because and, and then Joe Rogan's like, I would say that. And he's like, well, of course, he's like, of course you can say it. You can kick everyone's ass here. You know, he's like, people want you to say that because then it's like, oh, he's, he's calm. <laughs> he's not going to beat us up. He's like, but if you can't beat somebody up, then you can't say, you know, it's like, and that, that's the thing. That's an interesting thing about masculinity too, is that like, it's not about, I can beat everybody up. It's that I can beat everybody up and I'm not going to. Mm. It's that it's that it's that reserve strength. Yes. Instead of like fake strength. It's like I know that I'm strong and I know that I'm capable and competent, whatever, but I'm gonna be gentle. You mm. know, that gentleness because I I could kill you. Right. Or something. You know what I mean? It's like that there, there there's something to that as far as like masculinity of like this reserved uh with withheld wrath and mm -hmm. violence and strength well, I mean, there's, or something. There's a biblical component to that. In in Second Timothy, when Paul talks about the servant of God, he talks about how he has to uh, contend with his enemy with gentleness. Yeah. So that, you know, he not, not with quarrelsomeness so that he may come to his senses and be snatched from death. Or when he talks to in Philemon, he makes a point that even though you owe me so much and I could assert my authority, I'm yeah. going to appeal to you as a brother, not as one in charge of you. Like that's a very yeah. biblical concept that like, yes, I have this strength and this ability, but that's not how I'm coming to you. I'm coming to you in peace. And that's again, the ultimate picture of Jesus as mm -hmm. man of, of that meekness was not a weakness. It's a right. reserved strength. Right. You could have called down a legion of angels, right? right? Yes. But he didn't, he, 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 you know, and yet having all the power of God, you know, you know what I mean? Like and he, that, that pouring out of, of, of God and, and taking on the, the status of a, of a person and, and a slave and even unto death. Right. Mm -hmm. And so it's this submissive, chosen submissive sort of uh, inferior status or whatever that's chosen, not like, right. well, that's all I have. Hang on. Every, I'll be right back. Hang on. You know, you see that in pictures of Christ that you see throughout the Bible, too. Like we talk about types of Christ or, or, or Christ types in the scriptures where you see people like Moses or people like David. David is probably the best example of that when he catches Saul off guard in a cave he has him at that point where he's like, I could kill you and I would end all of my problems right here. And he cuts the hem of his garment and then shows it to him to display that. Like, look, I had you and I didn't take it as almost like a peace offering at that point. And at that point, Saul realizes his fault, which of course he goes back on later. But that idea of like, I have the strength to do this thing and I'm not going to do it. I'm going to humble myself. That's the, I think what he was referencing when it says that though he, though being God did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but humbled himself and took on the form of a servant, even to the point of death. Uh, I was saying how if we look at the Old Testament, the, the pictures of Christ that we see that are coming, the, the messianic types. Uh, you see that same kind of characteristic, like in David, when he caught Saul off guard in the in the cave. Yeah, he had him, yeah. but he cut his hem instead of killing him, and yeah. then he showed it to him, like I had you, but I didn't that, take. That's more powerful than just killing right. him. Right. It's right. like the knowledge I could have, but I didn't. Yeah. Um, I want to find that in the heart. So Proverbs was written for boys. Hmm. 
that's interesting. Uh, so another man, if you got time, uh, Pastor Toby Sumter gives a speech called uh, "Do Not Give Your Strength to Women." That comes from Proverbs thirty-one. Uh. He talks about how Proverbs thirty-one. We always think of the Proverbs thirty-one woman, but we never think of the Proverbs thirty-one man. Huh. And it's, it's about the idea that uh, you know a king. How dare you! <laughs> I'm anti-feminist uh, right here. I hate women. It's all coming out. How you know the the idea of giving your strength to women is something that happens to somebody like Solomon, mm-hmm. the, the king, not the man I'm talking to. Mm-hmm. And how uh, you see, like you know, in the beginning, he seems like he's on track. He builds the temple. He does all this stuff, but then he marries all these women, yeah. and he commissions for them temples to their gods and high yeah. places for their worship. And then he bankrupts, and that's where you get one of my favorite like pictures of bad masculinity leading to bad masculinity is after Solomon has died, his son is taking the throne and his advisors tell him, Hey, your father levied a lot of heavy taxes on the people. It would be good for you to relieve some of those to curry favor. And instead he comes out to the people and he says, my little finger is thicker than my father's waist, which um, the, the jargon, the jargon he's saying is is not talking about his father's waist. He's talking about something else. Mm. And he's saying, my little finger is bigger. He, I'm I'm 10 times the man he ever was. And he scored you with whips. I'll score you with scorpions. And then at that moment, the kingdom falls apart. <laughs> <laughs> he tried to assert his manliness, and yeah. that happens. He lost his kingdom. Yeah. He just didn't know how to pull back and didn't know how to do the humble thing, which humbleness is a, is a masculine quality that's – Humbleness is kind of feared because humbleness is seen as weakness, I think. Yeah. Right? And we don't want to be weak because that's unmanly. Yeah, but only like only weak men are worried about that. Right, right. You know, <laughs> and then that's that reveals your weakness. Mm. If you're just like the worst thing than being weak is pretending to be strong when you're weak. Right. right? It's like the toupee or something, you know, it's like the, the worst thing about being bald is about being insecure about being bald. You know, you got to own it. You got to like, you just take that. You just go with it. You can't. Yeah. Just go with it, man. Like that's more pathetic to just wear a toupee. Like, come on, you know, I mean, that's <laughs> to put that mask on or to put that front on is Napoleon complex and stuff. The guy with the tap out shirt, like nobody thinks you can fight. You're not fooling anyone. You bought that at Hot Topic. Like no one's fooled by this. But it's easier to buy the tap out shirt than train. And to train, right? Right. It's like, well, I'll just buy the shirt. You know, I don't have to work out and actually get it for real. Uh, have the black belt nobody knows about. Right. You know, I'll wear right. the tap out shirt. I'll wear the you know, I'll roid out or whatever. <laughs> it's like you're not. <laughs> and then, but then you actually get into a fight, and it's like, oh crap. You, you get tested. Right. It's like, oh, crap. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, getting tested is an important thing, too. Like, a lot of guys have never been tested, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, but I mean, we've built a world where you don't have to be tested anymore. Yeah. It's almost a, it's almost shameful. Like, oh, how did you end up in that situation? <laughs> yeah. You know, it's really weird. I was thinking about like how we say, like, oh, we can't just coddle kids because they get to the real world and they won't be prepared. Mm. But now, they're growing up and they're voting in different mm. policies that make give everyone a trophy. Right. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, we didn't see that coming. You know, <laughs> we thought the real world would slap them in the face. It's like, no, they're changed. They're trying to change right. the real world. They're trying to change how the world operates. I don't think they can. I don't think a lot of you know these things can't happen just because human beings are going to keep being human beings. Right. And they just not know what to do with that because they're trying to implement. They're trying to change society. And again, 
it goes back to like the only thing that can change man is Christ. Right. You're, you're, you're dead in your sins and trespasses, and God makes you alive, brings life, that regeneration. People are trying to reach regeneration through materialistic flesh bodily things, mm. right? And that, that, again, goes to the materialism of like the godless worldviews of like predominantly now Marxism of the left Marxism is strictly material. And I think by, the, by a, a changing of the materialism, we can remake human beings. Yeah. Like the whole thing of Marxism is human beings are the way we are because of society of other human beings, I guess. And we have to change that society. We have to tear down the society yeah. and rebuild something new. Not reform, not tweak, not redirect, destroy, and then rebuild. And only then can human, humans change. And the irony of that is that's, that's a misguided creation mandate. It's yeah. still the idea that you can't fight that need to build and tame and fight. You just have it pointed in the wrong direction. Mm -hmm. And I think kind of one of the things I came to at, at doing looking at all this stuff is that there is toxic masculinity. It's 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 secular masculinity. It's unguided masculinity. It's unfocused masculinity. That's toxic masculinity. Yeah. Like there's nothing wrong with needing to fight. There's nothing wrong with needing to cultivate. There's nothing wrong with needing to build. There's nothing wrong with being confrontational. It's yeah. just it's aimed at the wrong place. Yeah. So when your when your your fight is aimed at you know tearing down society to make it easier on yourself or or when your your strive is to do the greatest thing that makes you the most satisfied in life it's like well you're misguided that's the problem it's not that this these things are bad it's that we need to put it in the right direction yeah I mean the left anti capitalism or capitalists are just as obsessed as the cap with money as the mm -hmm. capitalists are they just believe it's in the wrong hands right. I mean, that's what it is. You ask any leftist, Marxist, progressive, godless worldview of anything, say, how do we make a change in our society? The answer will be money. Hmm. We just need more money for funding, for policies, for programs, for government-funded programs, government-funded this, policy-making this, whatever, and it takes money. All it, it, And they're just as obsessed with money. They just think, like you said, it's going the wrong direction. Right. It's, it's just as obsessed with the materialistic, uh, superficial things. It's just, oh, it just needs to be going that way. It's like you're working with the wrong thing. Mm. It's not materialism, <laughs> right? <laughs> now, the scary thing is – And they'll say, what else is there? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we have to work with. Yeah. The scary thing is the world is at a point now where I didn't think it would be before. Just looking at stuff from like 10 years ago that was on TV or whatever, it's like that was – it's a different world. Yeah. So thinking 10 years down the line, 15 years down the line, having a son who's two now, who's going to be 17 at some point, 18 at some point, who's going to be in the world. Yeah. It's like, how do I, his masculinity, if it's biblical, is not going to fit. Like, it's just not yeah. in that society that he's inheriting. What's something that you think is like super crazy? There's no way. Whatever it is, it's we'll, gonna be, we'll be there. Look, you're talking about defund the police. You tell me 10 years ago, defund the police would be a campaign platform. I tell you, you're out of your mind. <laughs> That's where we are. No police. I, Which the <laughs> doors are open. Think of the craziest thing. That's why I don't understand that there's, there's, there's been no rational argument against the slippery slope idea. Hmm. 
of anything of anything of, of, of the godless worldviews that come up with this it's like oh well we could do this or pretty soon you're gonna have this oh come on oh it's all you get is eye rolls right oh you know why can't a man marry a dog oh my god what is wrong with you are you insane oh roll it's like we're talking about defund the police and there's no such thing as gender and there's no like what are you talking about like it's just insanity and so whatever craziness thing you can think of we have to start thinking about drawing a line somewhere in our society because obviously there's no such thing as lines there's no such thing as chalk to draw the line so what are we talking about hmm. <laughs> I mean, historically man historically that's what men have always done is draw the line yeah work and keep that's the whole like to bring back to the masculine mandate work and keep keep what keep society keep your family keep these things in lines of, of kind of like an order out not chaos mm. you work and keep responsibility and sacrifice but you know i mean the problem with that is that that implies a respect for the people who came before you yeah honor father and mother Mm. That's a biblical mandate. There's no secular category for that kind of thing. Like mm. I talked about this with somebody before where they were like, well, you can understand like the good intention behind environmentalism. And I was like, no, I can't because uh, stewardship is a biblical concept. That's yeah. not a secular concept. I, so I can't understand the rationale behind environmentalism because they don't have a category for that. It doesn't make any sense. And that's the same idea. Like we look at a society that was handed to us by people behind us that like, yeah, they made some mistakes, but they worked to build a thing to hand off to us. Yeah, you know, we look at that as like, well, let's preserve this thing, let's make it better, let's fix where they went wrong. Whereas a secular society, the one we're living in now, looks at no, let's tear it down. What's the point? They were wrong. Yeah. They didn't know. We're enlightened. Let's burn it down. Yeah. Well, in that idea of building something and passing it on to next generations, is like, oh, he didn't work for it. He got right. handed his 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 money or whatever, and it's like, okay, but you, how, how many rich bratty kids you see flush their parents legacy down the toilet on drugs and women and whatever other bullcrap they're not starting businesses there's right. plenty of rich kids look at paris hilton you think <laughs> she's being doing anything with the with the legacy she's being handed no she, she's like totally <laughs> screwing that up and there's there's plenty of those just like her you know right and that's here's because that is the theme of fight club but this the the presupposition of fight club is that our fathers abandoned us and i think mm -hmm. that's a key that we don't talk about either is fatherlessness yeah like masculinity involves responsibility and fatherhood is a responsibility and to abdicate that responsibility is probably the worst thing you can do to a society yeah because now now you do have directionless men now you do have rudderless boats yeah and all you're gonna do is crash into each other and that that's been one of the key factors in uh deteriorating neighborhoods and societies and communities is a high propensity fatherlessness yes you know like my mom says the government does that now it's like well yeah it's like wait a second, wait a second. you tell me i can leave my family be rid of this crushing weight of responsibility and my they'll be okay and they'll just have welfare or whatever you need all right cool i'm out you know and then uh like if one of my favorite lines of fight club was like oh you know then he got remarried and started another family. It's like Dude, setting up a franchise <laughs> it's true like all the men are just gonna you know appeal to their unhuman instincts and just screw anything with legs i mean like, but part of that <laughs> the, the dynamic of men and women being made to, brought together to have a family 
there there's this this idea of like when you've when you've slept with a woman if she's pregnant now you have a responsibility yeah. society holds you to that but she holds you to that but yeah. when the government swoops in and they tell you what well, you don't need him yeah we'll this is the modern him. world you don't have to take we'll do that yeah you're you're a modern strong woman you're an independent woman and you don't need no man <laughs> it's like okay maybe you don't but your son does yeah. <laughs> and if you're honest with yourself, you do because you're only half of a whole. And there's nothing wrong with that. As, as human beings, we're half of a whole. Like we're only whole when we're combined with our other half, right? Like yeah. the, the for that reason, a man leaves his father and mother and clings to his wife and they become one flesh. Like that's the yeah. order. That's what's supposed to happen. And that and there's that in tuneness, like two becoming one. Right. Uh, again, <laughs> bring it back to the source material. This. Uh, Sexually, it says, uh, pay attention. He's talking about men with their wives. Um, men, so men should live with their wives in an understanding way, mm. right? This passage contains, because uh, he's talking about, what was that from? Um, For likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. First Peter 3, 7. Women as the weaker vessel. Mm. Mm, I don't think so. Well, <laughs> what that means, and, I've, and Doug Wilson, I think, give the best explanation of this, is what that means is you're, you're not talking about, you say weaker vessel. It means uh, you, a weaker vessel is usually the more valuable thing. Right. Like the china. Right. You drop, you drop a paper plate on the ground, it's not going to break. You drop the fine china on the ground, it's going to break. But which is worth more? Mm. Which is more valuable? The fine china. So that's how he's. That's the proper context we should understand as women as the weaker vessel, of like, they're not paper plates, flimsy, worthless. They're the fine china, mm. you know, and that's to be guarded and protected and not smashed, you know. So because they're worth a lot. <laughs> that's what he says too. Like, semen is uh, cheap. Eggs are expensive. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's so much of it. Yeah, the whole thing. <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> like when you talk about fertility, like that's the price is the eggs, the uh, for, uh, the uh, freezing them and preserving them and the viable one uh, semen's all you know sperm is <laughs> sperm is cheap on any corner sperm is cheap, <laughs> sperm is cheap. Uh, eggs are expensive yeah uh, but uh, yeah that's the thing um, and I, I really like this part too in this section he says if I stop you at any time will you be able to give me a rough sketch of your wife's schedule of the, for the day. Can you identify at least one major issue that is on her mind and weighing down on her heart, make, uh, making her afraid or frustrated or concerned? These are the things Peter has in mind. Most husbands have not the slightest clue what is going on in their wives' schedules, much less what challenges they're weighing on their hearts. Hmm. That's so great. Like that's like you, you have to live with your wife in an understanding way. Know her. Understand her. Hmm. Not just live with her as a roommate or whatever. A lot of people, a lot of men go from their mom's house to their wife's house. Yeah. And they're just treating them the same way, too. <laughs> you know, Peter, Peter talking as a married man in that instance. Like, Peter had life. He, wasn't, yeah. he wasn't writing this, you know, without, without knowledge. He was, he he knows. Was, right. He knows what's up. Can you imagine? Oh, man. I like to think about the discussion where she's like, you're going out with him again. You're always with those 11 dudes. Like, what's going on? We got stuff going on here. My mother's sick. <laughs> <laughs> But I mean, I, that's true. Uh, and that's kind of what I was talking about with Rogan. Like he built a clubhouse for himself to hang out with his friends. Yeah, exactly. It's his escape or it's his, right. but, but it, it, it is good. And a lot of, again, a lot of things he talks about is really good. And I think 
is really lacking in a lot of modern men of ambition and competition and and like just look like embrace these natural things that make men men these god-given sort of instincts that should be channeled in a right way and i think for the most part he does but it is that that uh that family element that is just right. completely lacking in all of his uh advice and all the people he brings on advice too so and and he, those, he, those people have family he has a family <laughs> Rogan has a wife and kids that they have a happy you know household presumably you know from from yeah. little i have heard him talk about it and jocko willink you know he's got a family like these people have families and children and stuff but they just never talk about it mm. you know it's like come on like that's a that's worthwhile and all because all the guys listening to joe rogan are these video game pizza box bros right. who are putting off marriage and family as long as possible you know i gotta fulfill my dream by just doing nothing but mm. listening to podcasts and <laughs> <laughs> Well, <laughs> one of the big switches for me was going from having a kid was going from friends that don't have kids to friends that do have kids. Mm -hmm. And like the, the change in the whole dynamic was different. Yeah. Everything changed at that point. And I remember the friends I had before the friends who didn't have kids didn't just not have kids. They detested the idea of ever having kids. I did. I never detested the idea of having kids. I never saw, I, I, I always knew like, I would I would want kids and I think I'd be a good father, but I never saw myself like having kids. I saw myself driving a car. I saw myself graduating <laughs> high school, working a job, and even being married. But having kids, I was like, what the heck is that? That's so weird. Like and I, I had no um experience with kids at all. Mm. You know, like my, I don't know, like nieces and nephews and stuff that I took care of or babysat, or I never babysat, whatever. And that is something I think men should be more involved with. I think young men should be more involved with the children's ministry at their mm -hmm. church. Uh, and I say a lot of uh, young newly married or like single young men are involved with the children's ministry at my church. Uh, it's kind of weird. I know it's not like the, you know, you know, dropping your kid off with the, some young single dude, <laughs> but I feel comfortable. <laughs> but I think that's good for a, a young man to do. And, you know, talk about what do you do before you get married that you, you practice that fatherhood of like, mm -hmm. I got to be around kids. They're going to be annoying and loud and crazy <laughs> and messy. I got to figure that out and like learn how to do Cause I had none of that. I had like, I was like, these kids are so messy and annoying and crazy. Uh, and I just get frustrated. <laughs> it's like some, <laughs> some practice in that would have been, I think helpful <laughs> before having kids. But uh, yeah, I, before I had my, my son, I probably could count on one hand at times I've ever held a baby. Wow. <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> and you know what's crazy? It was awesome. The first time I met you, you were playing with a kid. It was at it was at the Haney's house. Oh, oh what? Yeah. Names. You were like, <laughs> you were like running around. Uh -huh. who, who was that? Noah? Was it had that? to be Noah. Yeah, that's the only kid that was there. Like, I was running around. I don't know. Somebody's kid. But you were like, like, oh, fun kid. Like you're like sweating, running around outside <laughs> with this little kid. And I was like. That guy's gonna be a good father one day. Oh man, I'm hoping because it, <laughs> it's different when you gotta keep him. That's when it gets weird. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Start talking back. Oh, you're not, you're not the cool one. You're not the cool or <laughs> uncle or friend or whatever. It's like now you're the lame authority. You're, you're the lame dad. Yeah, but it is cool too. The thing that one of the things that that changed because I, I feel like part of you know, we talked before last or we talked off camera about romanticism and the idea mm -hmm. of like romanticism didn't have anything to do with love per se. Yeah. Romanticism was more of an idea of like wonder and existence, right? Yeah. Like it was romantic passions were in everything. 
And I think we kind of, uh, especially in modern times, but as we get older, we kind of lose that. Like mm. people aren't as impressive because you see them all the time. They're mundane. Like, yeah, if the sun rises. It does that every day. What's cool about that? But like having a son and seeing him experience things for the first time, it kind of reminds you like this is crazy. Like this is an awesome thing that happens, even though to me it's like, well, it always happens. Why is that? Yeah. And just seeing like normal things like the moon when he's like, oh, the moon is out. It's like, yeah, yeah, it's a big rock that floats around us and shines light. That is a crazy idea. And sometimes you see it and sometimes you don't. It's just weird. I, I know I, I was telling him like, cause there's like a picture of the moon and I was like, it's so bright. I was like, you know, the moon reflects the sun mm. and he's like, yeah, you know? And I was like, you know, like a reflection, like a mirror. And mm. he was like, yeah, we have a mirror in our bathroom. Well, yeah. Do you have a mirror in your bathroom? I was like, yeah. And like, I don't know if he's making that connection of like reflect the moon reflects the sun, but it's like just to teach like a kid yeah. something is like, really crazy because it's like you kind of see building like building blocks kind of dabbing together it's like is he getting it i think he's getting it like (laughs) and then the what i also noticed in him is like (laughs) when you know when they get in your way like you're trying to do something and they come in and they grab it and they're like you're in your way it's like oh he's trying to help yeah like he wants to do the thing which is because like he has a compulsion to do something which i I think that's part of the problem with modern schooling. Mm. Like they have this compulsion to do something. Like I want to open the door. I want to get in the car. I want to start the car. I want to sit in the front yeah. seat. And it's like, no, sit down and be quiet. Like, yeah. okay, well, now all of that potential is wasted and gone because now they're not going to want to do anything anymore. We've beaten that urge to do stuff out of them. Yeah. Just comply. Yeah. Don't right. participate. Obey. Yeah. Well, I promise we're not uh, uh, planning this, but it's just going in line <laughs> with like the next thing. Let's talk about fatherhood. Says if a father sincerely practices the four steps that I set out later in this chapter: read, pray, work, play. I believe he will be able to lead a very active work life without hindering his relationship with his children. But if the father frequently says, "I'm sorry, I don't have time," mm-hmm. the child will inevitably point his heart elsewhere, someplace there in, there is interest, attention, and excitement about his or her life. It is precisely a child's deep need for a sense of belonging that explains many of the troubles of young people. Mm-hmm. Everything from drugs and gangs to premature romantic entanglements. Wow. So, and, and that's what the first thing he's saying. Like, one of the best sentiments that a father can say to his children is, Give me your heart. Mm. Give me, son, give me your heart. Mm. Because if you have your son's heart, he will look at you as a valuable source of information and guidance and obedience and, and instruction and stuff. But if you don't have his heart, you're just a tyrant trying, right. to, ruin his, trying to ruin his fun. Right. <laughs> And that's one of the biggest things that um, Doug Wilson was talking about, about how like raising kids is really great. So, so amazing. I'll, I'll post it. I'll post it on the, on the page, but he's talking about how you need to teach your kids to love the standard, not conform to the standard. Mm-hmm. Right. He's talking about with their kids. So the idea is when you have kids uh, be as iron fist, hand, hammer, strength, tight, strict, as possible from the beginning mm. and then slowly as the you know cake bakes in and sets right your hand off and hopefully those things are baked in and, and conformed and, mm. and, and formed in that that they will actually be able to be okay right but you can't so the, what he says what usually happens is uh their sin as a baby and toddler can't ruin their life 
right? They're throwing a tantrum in the restaurant or at Walmart. It's not going to ruin their life. It's just annoying. It's like, okay, you know, whatever. And so what parents do is they abide sin, abide sin, abide sin until one day their sin can ruin their life when they're drinking and driving or having sex with a girlfriend. It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And they're freaking out when the kid's 14 <laughs> and doing all these things. And so they put try to put on these restrictions. They go, oh, you're grounded. You're grounded. And it's like, it's too freaking late. Yeah, that kid's already doing what he wants to do. And now his sin can ruin his life, right? And that's when parents freak out. You have to freak out and be crazy strict parent when the the sin can't ruin their life. When they're throwing the tantrum, when they're jumping on the couch, when they're being insane, or when they're, they're sinning as little kids, that's when you have to have the iron grip. And then hopefully, you know, teaching them to love the standard and what's right rather than just to conform. You put on those restrictions when they're 14, they'll just begrudgingly obey until they're 18 and can join the Navy, you know, <laughs> and leave. You know, I, I was talking right? with somebody this week about, you know, like woke culture and the idea of like systemic racism. And what's interesting to me about this whole thing is that they don't want to get rid of racism. They just want to curb the behavior of it, right? Like th their whole thing is you can't be not racist if you're a white person. It's built yeah. in. There's no way around it. Yeah. What we need to do is make sure that that doesn't affect other people. So we don't want to end racism because we can't. We want well-behaved racists. Well, it's the Marxist playbook. There's, they don't want to rid America of the evil of racism. They want to tear down America and rebuild something new. Mm. It, it's unsavable. You can't, like I said, you can't save it. Systemic racism, the key word is system, mm. not racism. Right. right, it's not about bringing the racism out of the system. That's impossible. What you have to do is tear down the system mm -hmm. and rebuild something new. It's that false, godless, materialistic view of regeneration. Mm. And it's like and right. that, that's the whole thing. They're trying to change what human beings are mm. rather than dealing with what human beings are. Human beings are racist. You got to deal with that. You got to figure that out. No, we're just change human beings. Mm. That's, you know that's interesting you're you're you're, you're crazy <laughs> that's insane with him the thing was uh hitting that was the first thing i had to whack him for because he lost he lost his temper because we were he was hitting to teach him not to hit yeah <laughs> well he was with my dad and he wanted him to put something on the tv and he wasn't understanding him because he couldn't talk and so he got mad and just started whacking him and, yeah my my son started whacking my dad because he was like why aren't you getting what i'm saying <laughs> And so I had to hit him and like try to get the point across. Like, look, you can be upset, but you cannot hit your grandpa like that. And now that he's a little bit older, it's like, okay, let's fight. And you can hit me. That's okay. Yeah. And if you like whack my glasses off, it's like, okay, you can't do that. Yeah. Like, it's weird to set these boundaries. Like, there's nothing wrong with hitting people. You just have to know who and why and when. Uh -huh. And try to like mold that. So hopefully at some point it stay it sticks in. Yeah. Like, oh, okay, don't hit mommy. Don't break dad's glasses. But yeah. it's okay to play and fight. That's what like, uh, Doug Wilson talks about in Future Man. He's talking about kids playing with swords and guns, uh, plastic swords and plastic guns. Uh, I, the, the, the modern view of that is, no, 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 get those out. Get the fake guns. Get the, no, don't, don't teach them how to do that. He right. said, no, teach them how to use swords and guns when they're plastic. <laughs> because then they won't, you know, if they get, if they get their hands on the real thing, they'll know what to do. He's talking about, like, kids playing war and boys like shooting each other and stuff. It's like, don't end that. Don't stop that and take the guns away. Teach them. Uh, you don't shoot your mom. <laughs> you shoot your brother who has the gun. Yeah. Y'all shoot each other, but you can't shoot someone who doesn't have a gun. 
and they'll understand that and the rules of war and they'll be like oh okay and then so then it's like okay don't shoot my sister who's playing with her barbies don't shoot my mom who's cooking don't you know uh shoot my brother who's got the gun you create these these kind of paths and forms of like what how they're supposed to use guns and you mm -hmm. talk about the same way with like drinking and smoking right like, don't, don't tell you you don't just restrict things teach them how to drink <laughs> teach them he's like you have a responsibility to teach your kids how to drink and smoke right and like how that's you know there's time and place and how to responsibly do those things i mean and but, that's what sports does too like the idea of sport rules in sports it's like yes you're, you the goal is to win but you have to win according to the rules. Yeah, it's like, and you can hit that guy, right? But, but this way, right? <laughs> hit him the correct way, not the wrong. Yeah, way. exactly. And it's like instead of like, don't hit. It's like, right. well, whenever they get a situation where they have to hit somebody, they're gonna do it wrong. They're gonna do it terrible and then kill somebody or something. It's like, no, teach your kids how to fight. Don't teach them not to fight. Teach them how to fight. But that's the problem. A, a lot of people today don't understand that there is a way to fight. There, you know, when someone's pinching your sister, fight. <laughs> when someone's annoying you, don't fight them. That's right. not, you know, there, there's the, and, but someone's never taught anything about fighting is going to not know anything what to do. And I mean, there is a concept to that, even in like combat sports, which I think combat sports is important too for masculinity. Yeah. I know we get into like the, you know, the UFC bro who just like pounds Coors Light and wears tap out shirts, but like there's an they don't fight. Anybody who fights doesn't do that. <laughs> that that's, you know the, yes, that's anybody correct. who like under the discipline of martial arts doesn't have that view of it. Right. Yeah. Which is, you know, I, um, I never did Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, but I knew some guys who did, uh, and they were like super friendly guys, which is always interesting. Like the idea of like a gentle warrior, like, oh yeah, he's fully capable of killing you, but he, he's confident in that. He doesn't need to flex on it. Yeah. Like, he's welcoming and, and polite and, and about that. But like in combat sports, there's that idea too of like, there's certain fighters that we don't like, not because they're not skilled, but because they're not honorable. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, yeah. You know, as much as popular as he is, I hate Conor McGregor with everything <laughs> in me. <laughs> really? He's so cocky in the oh, worst way. I thought you'd like him. Oh, like, I hate him. I hate like him. The, like the Irish Kanye. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what the problem is? Kanye can have uh, bad PR, but it took forever for somebody to beat McGregor. That was the problem. Like, I wanted somebody to beat him to like work because he's the heel he's the bad guy like he's the yeah. cop and he's when nate diaz beat him that was the coolest thing i ever saw now that was that was he you know he gave up his back that was a rookie that wasn't connor's got no ground game that's why he couldn't yeah. have to be either yeah, but that's, that's all he has a big left arm <laughs> the combat sports is that idea of like yes we're gonna punch each other in the face but we're gonna agree to do it this way and we're gonna be respectful about it mm -hmm. and afterwards there's not gonna be ill will about it yeah, this is the thing we're agreeing to do, and afterwards it's over. Well, and there's a humbling factor too. Yes, like and that's what some of Joe Rogan talks a lot about too, and martial artists talk about too. Like, you know, you you might be a black belt, and some blue belt gets a good kick and knocks you out. Right. Like, you got what do you do with that? You know, or like you've been kicked in the head and like knocked out or like tapped out. Mm. Is that you're 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 getting these little um, safe doses of humility. Mm. right where it's not it's not gonna ruin your life it's not gonna freaking you know destroy you but it's like you were humbled you know but that's okay and you've learned and you've grown right and we don't have a lot of that today oh, i think man. a lot of that's discouraged and that's terrible I, for I you know. a, my one of my high, my junior high principal was talking about uh how when he was in high school if they had a fight it was like hold on hold on hold on we're not gonna do that like this and they would take him into the gym and throw boxing gloves on him and it was like fight like this 
this is how you're going to fight. We're going to control it. It's going to be safe. Go ahead and work it out, but not with your fists on the street. Yeah. And it's like, that's kind of an interesting idea that yeah. let's, well, let's resolve the problem, but let's do it in a safe way. Let's control this and not just be like, you know, somebody has sour grapes because they get punched in the street and they come back with a knife and then the other guy comes back with a gun. Like, exactly. Set this up and this is it. This is the thing. This is done. That's how you get drive-bys. It's never released. Yeah. It's right. never like, look, we settled this and it was it. The score was the score. Mm. And I got knocked out, but it was a fair fight and I stood right. up. At least I did it. It's like this pent up, like they ended the fight. No, I'm mad. I'm just pissed off. I'm going to go tell my brother. We're going to drive by his house. Right, yes. You know, and it's like, what are you talking about? Like, that's, that's a. <laughs> like chaos. a karate kid. Karate kid. <laughs> LaRusso had to enter the tournament at the end when he wins. Johnny's like, you're all right, LaRusso. He broke the rules. He yeah. kicked to the face. Well, he also had a magical Japanese man, and nobody said anything about that. So, <laughs> what are you going to do? He healed him with Matt. He used the force. You can't do that. <laughs> That's against any rule. Uh, oh, man. <laughs> All right, I guess we should wrap up. Yeah, let's run along. We don't run along again. We need Abby. That's why we need Abby. Because she's going to be like, okay. <laughs> yeah, we're going to go all night. We need to direct our masculinity. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so any final, like, um, final words? Jesus is the ultimate man. Right. You know, the, the, the biblical masculine mandate is to work and keep mm. responsibility, sacrifice, um yeah work work is good we have responsibility to work and we should find purpose in that and work for ultimately an audience of one there's a story in uh masculine mandate about this pian this this um pianist or this composer uh not going out for an encore because one man wasn't standing and they said well you know what are you talking about there's thousands of people want you to go out for an encore and he's like see that man that stands and unless he stands I'm not going to go back out mm. for an encore. And that man was his trainer. That man was wow. his instructor. And it's right. like, that's the only opinion he cared about. And that should be our reflection as men of like, look, the world's saying all these different stuff, but we work and keep and have responsibility to sacrifice for an audience of one. Mm. Right. And that's what the Bible says in God's word in Christ's example. And that's our audience of one and until he asks for an encore we're not going back <laughs> we're not you know that's who we, that's opinion that's whose opinion matters right and right. that's kind of where we should all direct our instruction and all that but i like that basket um, mandate future men there's some other books that are pretty good but those are the best ones as far as a, a biblical manhood view and if you're like me and you don't read you want to watch something uh two talks by nate wilson troublemakers and uh the world is R-rated. Those are both good. And then uh, Do Not Give Your Strength to Women by Toby Sumter is also a good one. Anything out of Cannon Press or Moscow, Idaho is going to be good. So just go with oh, that. Yeah. So on that, we'll see you guys next week with Abby again. So, yeah. Peace. See y'all.